As we continue in worship, we are in Luke chapter 14. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, a fish thrown into a pot of cold water while the temperature slowly rises does not know it's dying. And neither do we see the peril to our lives in the cold water of culturally accepted practices and hard dispositions that violate the values of Jesus' kingdom. The sting in what Jesus has to say today is so strong that I'm afraid I'll blow it in my explanation or will ignore it in our spiritual blindness. Forbid it. Have mercy on us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be pleased to move freely and powerfully in our midst. Come help us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The word of the Lord. So we continue our series in some of the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. It's entitled, Revealed, Stories with Purpose. And this passage today is so convicting. I mentioned the first time that we had, uh, that we opened up this series, that the parables are meant to create space between us and our false objects of worship. And I talked about my dog Amos and how he will lock in on a toy. And if I want to take that toy away from him, I can either wrestle him for it or I can entice him with a treat. The treat will create space between the dog and the toy. And if you think about it, that's how it is with the things that we cherish the most. We are so attached to them that it's very hard to be questioned on it. Those of you who have a relative or dear friend who's addicted to alcohol or drugs, and you've tried to talk to them about this, you know what I'm talking about. It's almost impossible to challenge them, and you're going to take some heat. Well, it's, there's a similar dynamic between us and the things that we value the most, but those things that are antithetical to the values of God's kingdom. Many times we can't see what those things are. Much like when a guy opens a fridge looking for the mayo and he can't see it even though it's right there in front of him. My wife's mother has a saying for this. She says, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. So we're blind and the parables are meant to open our eyes. So let's dig right in. First, check your current invite list. Check your current invite list. Let me give you the context here. Jesus is at a dinner party where a ruler from the Pharisees has invited him. So right off the bat, we know a number of things. We know that this ruler and his friends are people of means. They're either upper class or upper middle class. We also know that these dinner events were very important for them because their social status was on display. Who's who? Who was invited? Who wasn't? Who sat next to whom? And we also know from verse, 15, verse 1 of this chapter, Luke has told us that Jesus was invited, but they were watching him closely. So he's not invited as one of their own. They're testing him. Now, Jesus, who was on earth, not simply passing time, but actually bringing God's kingdom to earth, he was not one to shy away from confrontation. And as a matter of fact, he often instigated them as he does here. So it's Sabbath where you're not supposed to work or to heal. And during the dinner party, Jesus heals this man with dropsy, which was an unusual swelling of the body. 
Then he tells them this parable about when you're invited to a dinner like the one that they were at, that you should not choose the places of honor, but rather the lower places so that then the host could honor you and tell you, come, sit closer to me. And then he tells them two other parables, which are our text for today. So look at what's happened so far, right? Jesus has addressed everyone in the seats of honor they chose and told them those who exalt themselves will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he's addressed everyone, but now he's going to address the host himself. And as my children say, this is really getting uncomfy. Look at verse 12 one more time with me. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus calls out his host, for his guest list. Now look at how direct Jesus is. He's at a dinner party and this ruler is throwing the party. Now, who do you think was at the party? If not the ruler's friends, neighbors, rich you know, relatives and so on. That's who's there. And yet Jesus says in the hearing of all of them, Hey, by the way, when you throw a dinner party, don't invite your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, I mean, how offensive, how uncomfortable would that be for the host or for the guest? Instead, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, here's the thing. Not in a million years would those guys think of inviting that crowd. I mean, how often would we invite that crowd? I want to say never or hardly ever. And we've had 2,000 years of gospel history and millions of sermons that have been preached throughout the centuries on these very passages and principles which have made these values and ideas more palatable to us and yet we resist them. How much more would these first century rich Jewish leaders resist them? Think about that. Now why? Why should the host invite the poor, the crippled, to the lame, the blind? In verse 13, Jesus says, so you will be blessed. How so? Because they can't repay you. Now, this is so counterintuitive. Jesus says, invite this unlikely crowd and you'll be blessed. How? Because they can't pay you back. Instead, God will repay you at the resurrection of the just. Now, the concept of networking is one of the more important career principles that people get taught in business school or really in any kind of professional setting. You need to network. You start hearing this from the time you're in kindergarten, right? I mean, they tell you you need to join LinkedIn and any professional association so that people can get to know you and you can get to know them and your opportunities will rise. That's how it works. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. You see, it's an important principle when it comes to building your career. The problem is that we take that principle and we apply it to every realm of life. Who's like me? Who likes me and has my level of education and shares my affinities and interests and stage of life? Who likes my music? Who is like-minded? Who's nice and spiritually mature and generally pleasant? These are the people that I want to surround myself with. Now why? Why do our relationships go in that direction? As Jesus tells us here, because we want to be repaid. And we're not just repaid in money. We are repaid in intellectual stimulation. 
We're repaid in social status and self-worth, right? Because we love saying, well, I'm friends with so-and-so. And we love knowing I'm friends with this doctor. I'm friends with this beautiful couple. I'm friends with this hip person. We get repaid because they invite us to their get-togethers and parties or to their parents' vacation homes. And so everything becomes an investment for us. And boy, are we looking for that ROI, return on investment. And yet Jesus says, you will be blessed if the friends you choose for yourself cannot repay you. Why? Because then God is the one who will repay you. This is what he's teaching us here. And yet it cuts against the grain of our culture and more deadly for us. It cuts cuts against the grain of our deeply intrinsic self-interest. Now, you know how at every get-together or party, there's always that person who's not tracking, right? That person that after they speak, everybody goes, um, okay. Well, that's the person that speaks in verse 15. Look at what he says. When one of those who recline at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, maybe he was tracking and he just wants to lighten up the mood because the things Jesus was saying were pretty intense. But what he says is not the right thing to say after what he just heard Jesus say. The right thing would have been to say, Rabbi, tell us more. Or you just insulted all of us. Or even no comprendo, right? But not what he said. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, of course. But that's precisely the problem that if they kept going the way they were, they were going to find themselves outside, on the outside. And so what does Jesus do? He doubles down. He keeps going. He tells them yet a third parable about a banquet. Let's read on. Verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Okay, this parable sounds like the banquet that Jesus is at that very night. It also sounds like the banquet that the clueless guy brought up in verse 15, the great banquet of God. So far, so good. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Okay, so now we have a problem because all of those who are invited to the banquet don't want to come. They all start making excuses, a field, five yoke of oxen, a wife, all good things, all things that in that day and in our day are considered to be important things for livelihood. So they don't want to come. And the master did not like it. Look at the middle of verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Okay, so now we're surprised again because the poor, crippled, blind, and lame show up again. They're invited and they do come in. They want to be in the banquet, 
but there's still room. And so then Jesus gives them his final statement in verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So see how Jesus invites everybody, but see also how he turns the tables on his audience. The first two parables about a banquet that Jesus tells have something in common. The first one is about choosing the seats of honor. They chose the wrong seats. The second one is about choosing the wrong kind of guests. But both parables have one thing in common. The audience is in. The audience is included. So much so that the guy in verse 15 stated the obvious. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. He said that because that was their assumption. They were the covenant people, the Jews, the elect, the people who were in. If anybody was going to be eating and drinking in the kingdom of God at the resurrection of the just, it was the Jews, specifically the Pharisees. And yet, unfortunately, it was not so obvious, and that's not how Jesus thought. And so he tells them this third parable in which the audience, those who took for granted that they were definitely in God's kingdom, at God's banquet, those people were out. They were out. Do you see what Jesus is saying? My house will be filled, but you will not be there. You will not get so much as a taste of my banquet. Why? How? How could they be so far apart where his audience thinks that they're in and Jesus says they are out? Because they exalted themselves. He tells them in verse 11, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a thread that runs throughout the gospel of Luke from the very first chapter in the Magnificat. Mary's song of praise to God after the angel comes and tells her that she will give birth to Jesus. Listen to what Mary says in Luke 1. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, Mary gets the gospel that God comes to those who are in a humble estate, hungry and thirsty, and he fills them up and lifts them up. That's what it, to exalt means. It means to be lifted high. And Mary saying that God does that for those who are humble in disposition, humble in heart. But those who are proud, those who exalt themselves, those who are self-satisfied will be brought down. That's why they're out. Why else are they out? Because they chose to be repaid in this age. Do you choose to be repaid in this age? Jesus told them to invite those who can't pay them back, to associate themselves with those who have nothing to give in return. That's what he calls us to. This passage is shocking on two fronts, because those who think they're in are out, and the ones who are in are those who are the least likely candidates in our minds. You see, twice Jesus brings up the poor, the crippled, the lame, 
lame, the blind. These are the people that Jesus' audience, and to be honest, you and I, spend our lives trying to get away from. Do you know why there's racism in our country? This is one of the reasons. Because you and I spend our lives trying to move away from the conditions that lead to poverty. I mean, this is so deeply ingrained in the American psyche, in the American narrative. Getting out. Think about this. You pick up a memoir from any American hero or heroine who came up from down below, and it's invariably a tale of how through hard work and the love and support of family and friends and not a few bouts of luck, they made it to the top, to the top of their industry or career or community or field. The problem is that in our journey upward, away from the conditions that lead to poverty, we also move away from the people who live in poverty. And yet those are the very people that God, through this text and many others, sends us to. These are the people that God sends us to. He tells us to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression. But who is the one who's oppressed? Who is the one who who has faced injustice, if not those who've had the least opportunity and the most stacked against them? This is why the example of Mother Teresa is so powerful and convicting because she traveled and made her life in the direction that most of us run away from. And why do we do that? Because we want to be repaid in this age. That's what we're after. And we don't have the love to identify with and fight for those on the outside, on the outside of society, on the outside of God's kingdom. Ponder that and ask yourself, who needs invited to the party? Who is God sending you to? During our trip to Thailand a few months back, we went into these remote villages to offer some medical clinics to bring physical relief and also to open a door for gospel proclamation. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, and so my role was to do registration. So I had a team, a team worked with me, and, um, and we had translators, and we basically checked people in as they came in and waited to see a doctor or a dentist. So we're doing this, and it was a lot of fun, and I wanted to connect with the people that we were seeing and talking to a little bit, so I wanted to learn a few words, and I learned to say, God bless you. I was like, oh yeah, that's a great thing, God bless you. So I learned to say that, and it's miye bosade. So I kept practicing that, miye bosade. And so I'm, I start saying this to uh, many of them. Well, in this one village, there was this older man that as I was talking to him and he was getting ready to leave, I told him, miye bosade. And he gives me this blank stare like nothing's computing. And I thought, okay, it must be my accent because wouldn't you know it, I have an accent in many languages. So I say it again, miye bosade, still nothing. So then I ask the translator to say it and he says it and I know he's saying it crystal clear and still no, nothing's computing. And what was so upsetting to me about that exchange is that here was this man who didn't even have the conceptual grammar to make sense of that simple sentence. I knew they weren't Christians. That's why we were there. But it didn't even register at all. I know he understood the word you, but God and bless made no sense. 
But here's the thing. It's not just he and the mountains of Thailand. It's your and my neighbor in Metro Detroit. People's worldviews are so far from the light of God. They are far from God's light and that's who God is sending us to. So when we say, you know what? I have enough friends. I don't need any more friends. You know what? That's just fine because we're not trying to be repaid with friendship. Or if you say, well, the people in my group, they're not my intellectual peers or my spiritual peers or my financial peers. You know what? That's just fine because we're not trying to get repaid in any way in this age. Here's the thing, church. So often we treat the call to make disciples of Jesus Christ as if we were putting together the wedding list of guests for our wedding. This has to stop. It's not our banquet. It's God's great banquet. Jesus says in Luke 6, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? You see, when we choose to love those who will love us back, who will pay us back, then what will we receive from God? No. Share the open invitation into God's celebration. Share it. Share it with those who can't pay you back. Don't get hung up on their gender identification or orientation. Don't don't get hung up on their money, whether they have too much or too little. Don't get hung up on their race or their background, whether they frequent jail or they are college professors. It doesn't matter. Share the open invitation into God's celebration. This is the honor that we have as disciples of Jesus Christ. But let me leave you with this. One more thing. Don't find yourself, be careful not to find yourself on the outside, left out. Remember that Jesus is speaking to an audience that takes it for granted that they're in. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, like us. That's what the guy's thinking. And that's why Jesus tells them this parable, so that they know to help them see, to teach them and us, that those who think they're in are out, and those who are in are the least likely candidates in our minds. Who in the end fills the rooms of God's house? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Is that how you see yourself? The ones that fill God's house are those who know they have nothing. They are nothing. Is that how you see yourself? Jesus again and again tells us in Luke that he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That he came not to call the healthy but the sick. If we think we're righteous, if we think we're, we're healthy, then we are out. You see, the gospel is God coming after us. Poor, crippled, blind, lame sinners. We have nothing to offer to God. Nothing. Not our smarts, not our meager tithes and offerings, not our talents, not our time. We have nothing. Our gold before God is dust. Amazon.com before God is dust. Dust on the scales. Nothing and less than nothing. We have nothing to offer to God. And you know what? That's just as fine because he's not looking for repayment. Jesus Christ came to die for us. By his blood, he purchased us for God. And it's an insult to his blood to think that we can repay God. So what does God want? Our love, our allegiance, our trust, our confession. You are great, Lord Jesus, and I much rather eat crumbs at your great banquet than steak in the dining halls of the world. Let's pray. 
Yes, God, thank you. Thank you for this passage today and the convicting message that we must hear. Lord, we exalt ourselves in so many ways. So many of them we don't even see, but we confess to you, Lord, that we do not live in a place of humility, that we are constantly trying to go up, to lift ourselves up, to exalt ourselves. That's what the word means. But Father, you send us in the opposite direction toward the least, toward those who cannot repay us, toward those who are out on the outside of society, on the outside of the kingdom. So Father, I pray that you would convict us from how insular we live, how we are so comfortable in our huddles and don't move out expansively toward all those that need justice that need the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves as being poor and blind and lame, lame, as people who have nothing to offer you. But Jesus came to pay for us. That's the great news of the gospel. Jesus has paid it all. We can't pay anything back. We don't need to. His sacrifice is sufficient. So Father, let us hold fast to him in true devotion. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.